Broadcasting from the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia to around the globe. You're listening to Shark Bite Biz, your exclusive place for business strategy, sales, marketing, and tech in the roaring 20s. And now, here's your host, David Strausser. It's time for a rocking episode of Shark Bite Biz, and I'm your rock star wannabe host, David Strausser, and this is your place to learn how to grow a business and have fun during complete business chaos. So we're going to have a short intro today, because in the words of the legendary Joe Perry, we are just going to let the music do the talking. Some of our most popular episodes have been my friends in the music industry. Today's guest is a hired gun in a sense, but a hired gun that is living his dream. Not just his dream, the dream. Imagine one day on Mother's Day, hanging with your mom, and all of a sudden, you get a call from Steven Tyler. Yes, I'm talking about the demon of Screamin' himself, saying they needed somebody immediately to sing backup vocals and play keyboards. Worst thing? You've got to get a flight halfway around the world within just a few hours. What would you do? Well, I know what I'd do. And today we're going to chat with a worker, somebody who has worked his way up to the top and now is working with one of America's greatest musical talents, the Bad Boys from Boston. Yeah, I'm talking about Aerosmith themselves. Dreams do come true. So you just got to make sure that you keep dreaming on because whether it is in business or in music, you just have to keep at it. Make the relationships and do the right thing. Eventually, the door will open as they did for today's guest. So who is today's guest? Buck Johnson. Singer, songwriter, musician. Buck Johnson is currently the keyboardist and backing vocalist for the legendary rock band Aerosmith and the Hollywood Vampires. He hails from the back roads of Shady Grove, Alabama, just outside Birmingham, where he grew up singing gospel throughout the South with his musical family. Since then, he has performed in churches, bars, festivals, and concert halls throughout the world. You know, that I, I'm sorry. Usually I enjoy reading word for word the bios, the introductions that these artists or, you know, experts or business owners gives me. <laughs> this one has got to be like the most humblest one ever because he, I mean, he's just not playing in concert halls throughout the world. He's playing with the Hollywood vampires, Alice Cooper, Johnny Depp, uh, Joe Perry, sometimes uh, Duff from Guns N' Roses, various special guests. He's, you're, you're talking Aerosmith and all that encompasses that, the Joe Perry Project. Oh, my God. I mean, come on. This is amazing. I love the guy. I love his own music. I've actually been to a couple of Buck Johnson shows themselves. Amazing, especially when he whips out the Aerosmith covers. Love this guy. So without further ado, I present to you, Mr. Buck Johnson. Creative and innovation tips. Hey, Buck. Welcome to Shark Bite Biz. It's a thrill to have you here on the show, man. Hey, David. 
I'm grateful to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, no problem. So very first question. I obviously, I know who you are, but for all of our listeners out there that might not know you, can you tell us a little bit, who are you? What's your background? Give us the inside track. I'll try to give the cliff notes. Um, <laughs> so I'm from, I'm from, I always like to say Shady Grove, Alabama, which is the back road woods of outside of Birmingham. I grew up singing uh, with my family. We traveled singing gospel music. So I was on stage from the time I was five. And then uh, I had uh, some older cousins who said, you need to know this. And here's the Rolling Stones. And here's Led Zeppelin <laughs> and the Beatles and the Who. And uh, it opened up a whole new world for me. So it was always those English bands mainly who were influenced by the very thing I was singing growing up. Because that made sense to me. So I love that kind of music. And then there was the American bands. You know, like Aerosmith, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Uh, uh, who who was who were influenced by the same things as well. So uh, I moved to Los Angeles after college. Um, had a publishing deal. I had a couple bands. They're all supposed to be the next big thing that uh, never was. And uh, then I started playing with other artists. I played with. I did a live album as a backing vocalist for the Doobie Brothers. Um, I worked with. Uh, did an album with this guy named Tal Bachman who uh, had a number one hit called She's So High. I did uh, keyboards and backing vocals on that record. I did a few other records like that. I toured with people like John Waite um, and uh, Sean Mullins, uh, Matthew Sweet. And then later I moved uh, to Nashville to get closer to home. And um, we've been here about 12 years. And I uh, had a band that uh, we had a couple of uh, top hits in the country market. Although if we came out in the seventies, we would have been a rock. It's kind of changed yeah. a little bit right now. Well, it was a vocal band and, and, and we were pretty uh, rocking. Too. Yeah. I think it was good, good country rock. Um, but anyway, uh, after that ended, um, I went back to, I have a studio here in Nashville and I just uh, got a publishing deal and I started writing songs. And then a couple of years later, I got a call through a mutual friend of Aerosmith that needed a keyboard player. And I, uh, I was literally in Alabama visiting my mom for Mother's Day. And got a, as, as we're, her Mother's Day's wish is to go to church and sing a song <laughs> together. And so, um, right before we get in the car, I get a call from Steven Tyler from Istanbul. And uh, so the next day, I, I'm on a plane to Istanbul. Wow. So Steven yeah. called you himself from Istanbul. Well, I knew that uh, my friend Marty Fredrickson, who, uh, who wrote uh, Jaded with Steven and co-produced a couple of their later records and wrote other hits with them. Um, I've known Marty for years. Uh, the connection there is uh, with my good friend and former bandmate, Damon Johnson, who had a band called Brother Kane in the 90s. Marty uh, worked with, produced Brother Kane, wrote some other hits with uh, Damon. And um, so Martin always knew me. We, we were friends, never worked together, but he knew what I did. You know, well, this guy, you know, can sing the Robert Plant stuff and plays keys, writes songs, plays little guitar. Um, and that's exactly what Ferris Smith needed, someone who could sing with Stephen, sing above Stephen, but sing it with, you know, full voice with all the gusto that Stephen sings with and um, can play keys and play some acoustic. So uh, when they needed somebody, they reached out to Marty. Marty reached out to me. I didn't think anything was going to come of it. And then so I was kind of blown away when he actually called <laughs> that, sun, that uh, Sunday. And um, so I said, Mom, I'd love to stay, but i got to head back to Nashville because I'm leaving town. And uh, 
been six years. It's been over six years now that I've been. With yeah, them. yeah, it's so, been a minute. Yeah. So I've got to ask you, you blew your mom off on Mother's Day to try out. <laughs> well, I did, I did go to church. I did go. We did sing the song. Uh, and then I said, well, I can't stay for brunch. I got to go because she was, she's always been, she's my, my dad and, and mom have always been a huge musical influences. Of course, my mom's an amazing piano player. And so I do think that because from you know, the time she says I was singing before I was walking and that's probably because of them always having music, uh, creating music in the home from the time uh, I can remember. So. She was just excited for me. She's like, "Go, you go, Buck." You know, uh, so it was awesome. That's awesome. It's great to have that. Well, to have that encouragement. Oh yeah, and definitely is a difference maker. Was like she an Aerosmith fan as well too, or just so so? Well, she was probably more like a lot of people, yeah. a Stephen Tyler fan, because American Idol, right? <laughs> uh, so she learned, which you know, that brought in a whole new group of fans for the band. You know, because of that, you know, mostly younger, but uh, older people who. Uh, you know, my mom's the real deal. You know, she um, she can play all that stuff. She just may not have been aware of, like, she probably had heard, you know, Dream On, and then she knew that song and, and some of the bigger hits, but, you know, she didn't know the catalog or the band. Or, and uh, it probably would, but they came to a show when we were in Atlanta in 2014. And they loved it. Uh, they just loved it. That's that's they amazing. So obviously, I'm a big fan of you as playing with Aerosmith, oh, as, as well as you yourself. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but I, actually, I got an Aerosmith tattoo. It is the only tattoo I got, and it's the Batwings nice. logo one from uh, Get Your Wings. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's a good. Oh one. yeah, definitely. So I have to get a couple fandom questions out of the way, or else you know the listeners on this show will kill me. <laughs> sure. But first one: What is your favorite Aerosmith song to perform? To perform. All right. Well, that's good that you clarified that because people say, "What's your favorite Aerosmith song?" And I might say, "Dream On." But on "Dream On," I don't really play or sing on that because Stephen plays and sings, so uh, I don't get to perform. On that one as much. Um, you know, I like there's so many that I like for different reasons, and that's always a hard question because ask me the next day and I may say something different. But I, can I give you a narrow down? Like, okay, I love this one because of that. Like, I love playing Chip Away because it's got a great honky tonk, bluesy piano part, and it's fun to sing. Um, I like living on the edge. I like, for some reason, I just like singing that song with Stephen, and it just you know it's it holds up, man. Does it nowadays more than ever? Um, oh yeah, you know definitely. I like the old, <laughs> that's out of the newer stuff. That's one of the few that I like. Okay, a lot. So you're one uh, of those old school to, Aerosmith fans. Yeah, I like the bluesier stuff myself more so. Not that I don't like the newer stuff. Right. I love it. I love it. I love it. It's great. Um, so what you know, about- loving the elevator is a lot of fun. Oh, a lot yeah. of fun to sing and play. You know, it's just so much energy. But, you know, when we do Last Child and it's that stinky groove, it's just so saucy. And, and, you know, Joey can bring his funk to it, you know, just like he does with Walk This Way. Um, I like singing um, that one with them. And I get to jam on some. They want me to do that. You know, sometimes they're so... Why are you playing that? It wasn't on the record. I was like, yeah, but what band wants to play exactly what's on their record, you know? <laughs> and I never have dared play anything unless they say, they point to me like, 
give me some of this, you know, and I'll do it, you know? <laughs> so did, then once do they I've do done that, it, like Stephen will point to you to oh, tell yeah. you to, yeah. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the beauties of playing with that band is that, you know, they, 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 they're so in the moment. That was the hardest thing about transferring to doing this Vegas run we did last year is that Vegas in the theatrical world is more about everything being the same like it was the last show. You know, they want it like it's on the click, it's on, it's on the time code, everything's automated. You can't box there, you know. You never know what's going to happen next. You know, it's like a, a freight train that you come off the wheels around the, off the rails around what the What about turn. train kept it rolling? They, they, they oh, rolling. That. Is that energy? I mean, it's not their original song, but the energy during that, as a fan, it looks amazing. Is yes. it that real? It's, it is. It's that ferocious. Wow. And you never know sometimes, you know, there may be a mistake made, but those mistakes can be a beautiful thing because it's like, you know, you're on your toes, you know, like what's going to happen next? All right, we're in that jam part of Rats in the Cellar, where it's an outro that, well, we kind of know the cue that takes us to this part of the, the outro, but then it can be a jam. And it's just like anybody's guess. How long does Joe want to keep playing? You know, and whenever he feels it, you know, it's a very in the moment feel. And I think for the fans, you know, the reviews from Vegas were really great because of that. Like they were saying like Aerosmith refuses to bow down and I love that because every show was different. You never knew what to expect. And then all my friends were professional musicians who play at the highest levels that came to see the show because they're in Vegas. They all said, I felt like a teenager. Again. Wow, that's awesome. And uh, it's exciting. Yeah. You know, what's most amazing so is that it's this is essentially their 50th year anniversary because they formed in 1970. The first album with Dream right. On came out in 73, but they formed in 1970. So 50 yeah. years later, and they're still able mm -hmm. to rock it with all five original man members. That's that's amazing. Incredible. It, it is. I don't think even the Stones could say that. No. And, you know, and that's kind of the benchmark for them because the Stones was a few years ahead of them. Yep. And, um, you know, there are always those comparisons. But, you know, Aerosmith is a band that stands on its own, obviously. And it's hard for just in general for bands, no matter how good they are, to hold it together. Bands are lucky to last five years. So 50 years, you know, it's sometimes the worst thing that can happen to the band, a band, is success. And so they've had so much success and they've weathered the storms over the years. But, you know, at the end of the day, they're still brothers and they love each other and care about each other. But, you know, like family sometimes. As Keith Moon said once, the best way to keep a band together is keep them away from each other as much as possible. So I think I think they have to have their own individual lives and stuff. And but when they get the stage, whatever is going on, you know, the periphery that is maybe disagreements like family that fights, that goes away. You know, on stage, they become this band again that I get to sit in with every show. And I'm like a kid in a candy That's store. Awesome. Are you kidding me? You know? So it is as awesome as it can get for what I get to do. Yeah. So I don't know how many people know this, but there's another super famous band that you also perform with, the Hollywood Vampires, right? Yeah. And that's because of Joe Perry. You know, Joe, uh, Hollywood, for those who don't know, Joe, uh, the Hollywood Vampires is Alice Cooper, Johnny Depp, and uh, Joe Perry. And, um, and I should also mention Tommy Hendrickson. He's a big part of that as well. Uh, he plays with Alice Cooper. He's been an artist and he's a producer. He produced the last album that came out last uh, year for last, or last year, excuse me. Um, Joe, uh, 
when they decided to last in 2018 to go back out, um, they wanted to reorganize it. Um, and they brought in Glenn Sobel from Alice Cooper Band on drums um, and brought in me because of Joe. And, um, and uh, you know, Tommy, too. Tommy had seen me play. We became friends, and, and I thought he felt like I was a good fit. And also this guy named Chris Wise, who was also on that Tal Bachman album that we played. That, that record was over 20 years ago, a little over 20 years ago. And, you know, she's so high, you can look it up. It's, it was a hit, huge hit. And, uh, and we thought, you know, we thought, man, we're going to get to play a lot together, man. This is great. Well, we never played together again until 20 years later with Hollywood Vampires. So it was really a come full circle type thing. And Chris had played, was part of the band, uh, was part of uh, the Colts for about 10 years. And he's played on Ozzy Osbourne's albums. He's a huge, huge talent and has his own band as well. Uh, so everybody in those bands are kind of their own artists. Tommy does his own artistry and Chris does and I do mine. And I think that's why they like to be surrounded with guys who, you know, understand the artist's perspective and respect, like, you know, you guys, you're the boss, but here's what, but they also want to, they want us to contribute, you know, to bring something more to the table than just play what's on the record, you know. So um, it's, that's the fun part of it. And then I think, you know, it takes uh, the kind of guys, like I, I feel like everything that I learned in my career, all the mistakes I made, help prepare me to walk into the situation. You know, to, You're in a pretty you know, good situation, my... Buck. Yeah, it's a great. <laughs> hey, but you know what? You know, uh, I've been blessed. I've been around. I have a great support system. My wife, we've been married for many years, and she's always been supportive. And trust me, when you get into this, you know, it's not about, at first, it's about because you love to sing and perform and show off and get mm -hmm. girls, you know, attract girls. And then, yeah, money and fame, you, you kind of have those stars in your eyes. But then after a while, it's like you're either a lifer or you're not. Right. And if you're in it for money and fame, do something else, you know, if you're talented at Because music is a calling and, and to be a lifer means there's most likely going to be more lean years than the good years. Right, right. And uh, so, so one last, really. Sorry. Uh, one last question okay. quickly here for fandom. How different is it how different of an environment is it working with alice and johnny and joe with the hollywood vampires compared to <laughs> steven joe brad with aerosmith i mean are they similar well, or are they night and day different it's i wouldn't say it's night and day but there are differences i mean musically they're both very satisfying and um obviously i, mean, I, I love it and, and and they're all great people so don't believe everything you read you know, or what you hear when you're in the social media world. Um, they're all great guys. You know, they all come from humble backgrounds and, um, you know, and they're very intelligent, very smart. And, you know, there's a reason why they are where they are. Um, you know, Alice is a true gentleman and pleasure to work with. And, and Johnny's just a sweetheart. Um, you know, uh, I think the differences would be, you know, with Aerosmith, um, we do a tour, say, in Europe. And it's going to be two, at least two days off in between shows. Because, you know, Stephen, what he does is incredible. I mean, he's 70 something, 71. I don't want to, you know, you can look that up easy. <laughs> but he runs around stage for almost two hours like a teenager and he sings everything. Well, Steve and I sing everything, you know. 
I can, and even in Vegas, you know, there was no canned music, you know, Stephen would not allow that. He's too much pride and he delivers. So for him to do what he does, he needs those two days to recruit. Um, plus there's the travel. Yeah. Life, he, you know, Stephen's, uh, Stephen's, I guess, opinions and thoughts about that is pretty well documented, especially mm-hmm. how Stephen feels because of his voice and needing the rest, the vocal cords, uh, compared mm-hmm. to Joe Perry, who I see the complaints that he has where he wants to play every night. So I see that. Well, every, every, you know, musicians just want to play. You know, Brad Woodford, when he walks into a venue, he goes to his dressing room, there's a guitar and amp waiting for him. Before he does anything, he sits down, picks up the guitar. He just wants to play. They just want to play. Singers are always different because the instrument is here, and it's a very physical thing. And you don't always have 100% control over it, especially when you add in travel and age. And that's just just two things. You need the rest. you got to recoup, you know, and that's a difference, you know. And um, so I can understand that. Now, with vampires, you know, this is not a band that's been together for 50 years. You know, this is fresh and new. This is like a, a fun thing for them. Right. They get to get together. And a lot of it's cover songs, too, with the Hollywood Vampires. Well, and, and, and I would say the last record, we got away from that. Right. right? So I think there's only one or two covers. I mean, uh, Heroes featuring Johnny and vocals. Okay. Which oh, we, yeah. had to, we had to, I, I, I have to say this, I think we had to encourage him. You like, because he didn't. I don't want to hear me sing. Yes, they do. <laughs> yes, they do. And you said, trust me, man. When we did it the first time, he sounded so good live. I'm like, man, this is a home run for you, you know, and we need to find more material. So, we, you know, he did that and he did uh, um, uh, the, uh, uh, the book song, um, People Who Died. And he kills that one, too. So it was a good juxtapose between the two that he loves to do. And um, so, you know, with him and Alice and, and, and Joe, we do a lot more shows because Joe sings these songs. I mean, we're like our Europe tour, which will be next year. We're playing almost every night. So in a month's time, vampires will probably do twice the show. Right, right, right. <laughs> so there's not as much leisure time. Although we're around each other, we all hang out together. Whereas uh, Aerosmith, you know, they've been doing this for a long time. There's families involved. So there's not as much hanging out together. Right. You know what I mean? Right. It's not, there's some of that, but not nearly as the same. Yeah, yeah. Plus, it sounds like you were actually there recording with Hollywood Vampires, too, on that album, right? Oh, yeah. Um, some of it was done, you know, has to, the drums have to be done in the studio. So Glenn did those in L.A. And then Tommy would bring the files. You know, one thing about technology yep. is um, as, as much as it's taken away from how you monetize music. And listen, so you're, this is great because you're walking yeah, right yeah. into yeah. I, I'm working with discussion. you, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm working for you. I've done you this. No, this is a business podcast. Yeah. But yes, oh, it is. No, and, 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 they were my next questions right there about yeah. the digital well, transformation. Me, exactly. And, and, and even though I do this for the love of music, because this is... This is the only thing I'm really good at, you know. I mean, I could, I've done other things. Trust me, I've done my slew of crappy jobs just to get to keep the lights on. Oh, especially yeah. when I was starting off struggling in LA. Um, I always like to tell people I had a job. I was waiting tables, and I was in a band, and I also I sold stun guns to trucks truck stops. I made cold calls. <laughs> this fly by night lawyer. Wow. And I'm like, uh, I, that was interesting time in life. <laughs> but um, you know. It is a music business, 
And as much as we love to do it, we got to eat. And most people don't get rich. So all the, the changes in the industry ever since Napster, uh, it's like, yeah, you know, the complaints from rock stars, they got it so good. Well, but 90% of the people don't. And this is a very, it's, the technology has pretty much eliminated the middle class, music middle class. You know, in, Nash, in Nashville, uh, 20 something years ago, there were probably around four to 5,000 publishing bills. People who had mortgages, two cars, kids going to school, but they're writing songs. They're not getting rich, but they're, they're making a, they're paying their bills. Today, there's less than 400 maybe. And the publishing deals are nowhere near what they used to be. So the way we make money, and it's not like the pie has gotten smaller because people are not buying music because they can stream it or they can download it for free. If anything, it's changed and the pie has gotten bigger because it's advertising. It's, it's Google. It's, well, these are the people that have, you know, platforms that they can use music for advertising and, you know, don't forget about the torrent sites. That exists in Russia and China. That the money, the money that's being generated, that to the content creators, the people who created this, who spend a lifetime of dedication to learn the craft, because not everybody can do it. Everyone thinks they can do it, but just like you see somebody on American Idol, like, oh, they think they've got the greatest voice in the world, until they're pointed out, no, you don't. Now that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have music in your life. We all have the ability to sing and keep rhythm. It's in our DNA, but not everybody's going to get the opportunity to make a living at it. I'm one of the fortunate ones, but let me tell you, it's, it's tough and you better do it because you love it, but you also got to make a living. And so things like making an album, why make an album? Well, because we're not going to really make much money off the album, but we're going to be able to tour and promote it that way and sell merchandise. So the music becomes the flame that fires up everything else that actually generates income for you. The music's the passion. It creates the, the, the viral thing that makes people want to buy your t-shirts, but then buy, hopefully start buying your clothing line. And then if you really do well, they're buying your cologne. That's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. In fact, one of the things that you just said about the streaming and the streaming revenue, I mean, we have that validated because as I was telling you earlier, Brian <laughs> Vanderark, lead singer of the Verb Pipe, was his episode yeah. came out just a couple weeks ago and he was telling us during quarter two, his former number one hit, The Freshman, had over 4 million plays. And for those 4 million plays, he got a whopping $250. And see, most people are not aware of that. I don't probably have much sympathy for the plight of the rock star. But, you know, the reality is when you see what the money really is, it's like, well, for what it's generating, that brand, that's not a lot of money. A friend of mine, he, uh, a friend of mine wrote, co-wrote and produced a song all about the bass, all about that. Oh bass. yeah, yeah, yeah. Head, Oh right? yeah, I know. And that. and he's uh, my friend Kevin. He went to uh, he was one of the, he was going to Congress when they just passed the Modern, Music Modernization Act last year, and it, it is a step in the right direction. It's not nearly enough, but it's a step in the right direction because the copyright laws hadn't changed since 1976. And it's the one of the very antiquated laws because the laws are set for a time. I mean, CDs didn't exist. Uh, Digital, you know, were just a figment, the figment of the imagination. That was science fiction when this bill was actually wrote. And yet that dictated the artist's right today for monetization. And how much, and it's it's one of the things the government dictates how much you get paid. 
you know, for what you have created. Your widget, a song that you wrote, and, and there's a difference between what the songwriter makes, makes and what the artist makes. And that's different on Spotify and all these other platforms. And most people don't understand that. It's a complicated business in a way. It really isn't, but it has become complicated. So my friend Kevin, he goes, he's one of the few that have gone to Congress and has fought to get these things changed. And he brought his statement, his Spotify statement that showed this was the number one song in the world. Now he's had success before, but generally speaking, those things are lifetime achievements that happen maybe once in your life if you're lucky. And he's worked really hard to get to that point. And he's on a level that most people will never attain. It's like the guy who plays running back in the NFL. He's got a window. this big. And he, uh, he's achieved that. And through fortune and hard work. So he goes there and he says, the number one song in the world, here's my Spotify statement, $4,000 and some change. Now, someone's, it's one thing if I create something that, you know, it's either not, quality enough or good enough or doesn't get the exposure or whatever, and I don't make any money. But it's a whole different thing when you've created something and you're not making hardly any money, but someone is. Someone's making that money. And, and it's not the content creator. And that's what people have to keep in, keep aware of because, again, we're not talking about millions of dollars in most cases. We're talking about, hey, I'm, a, I'm able to you know, buy groceries and pay my rent kind of money. Yeah, no, it, it, it's definitely a tough situation and you know i i wonder when the solution's going to come you know what i mean it, it doesn't seem like it's around the corner but they are making some baby steps yeah they're making baby steps and i think it's it's the wild west right now i think technology changes so much you know it's like in just a few years my laptop's going to be no good i gotta buy something oh, yeah. new you know the different ports different cables it's all updating and it's growing at such a rate that our society can't keep up with it, you know, and what it's going to affect, you know. I think, you know, I, I think the, the, the thing that threatens people's jobs more than anything else is the microchip because, you know, what happens when they start having self-driving trucks, the truckers? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a whole list of things. So music it all trickles music has, has, has been on the front lines longer than anybody else because it was one of the first businesses effective and it's it's a business that people are passionate about because music look music is something you don't know what you miss until it's gone you take music out of a movie you take it out of a restaurant you'll realize how important music is you know it may have been more important to people in the 60s and 70s you know politically it was a passion you know it was a mystique to artists you know and now everybody's so accessible that it's become more disposable and there's so many people creating. There's a lot of great music out there being created. You just don't know about it because it's the white noise of everything that's being created. That's pounding us. Yeah, you know, there's just really so much time. right now. I think a lot of people are. I mean, so many things are being created from this podcast to a cabillion shows on, on, on Netflix to, you know, new music all the time that's flooding services like Spotify, iTunes, all that stuff. And it's really hard to find people. That's one of the reasons that I kind of still appreciate my, I have Sirius Radio as well as, the, you know, the FM radio here. Because it allows me to step outside the box of the people I know to kind of discover new music that's kind of good right. sometimes. And it, it, well, and listen, as long as I've been doing this, I'm always amazed that there's some artist or record 
I'm like, how did that, how did this not, you know, how did I not know about this? You know, and it's, it's, I think it's great. I think it's great that there's so much still to learn, you know, and be aware and stretch the boundaries. You know, most of the great artists I've worked with, you know, people, there are more people who are critics who sit on the sidelines and can bash this or bash that. It's like, you know what? Most of the legends that I've got to work with, they like a lot more stuff than you would think. You'd be surprised what they love. Because usually, yeah, they know their stuff. They know their, their heroes. You know, the Aerosmith would be the Yardbirds. You know, how many people really know the Yardbirds material? You know, or, you know, that's up them. But they do know that that's up them. But I'm just saying that there's a variety of stuff you, you can you become more well rounded in the patterns. Yeah. And I think as far as, you know, musicians go, um, in this climate, in this world, yeah, I mean, right now, we're, is that you? we're in the global pandemic right now where yeah. musicians yeah. that maybe they're not as lucky to be able to play with Aerosmith like you, but I mean, what kind of pivots have you done right now during mm -hmm. this time period in order to, you know, just make everything work? I mean, are, are you doing a lot more stuff digitally? How do you view that, Buck? Since I've been on the road uh, with Aerosmith for the last six plus years, I have already been doing writing with other writers and, and other artists virtually on Skype or FaceTime. So I've, I've always been doing that already. So especially during this pandemic, I'm doing a lot more of that. But, but with people in town that I normally do, they just you know, they would come to my studio or I'd go to the place. Uh, so do a lot more of that. And, um, you know, as a songwriter in a studio, uh, I've recruited and producer. I've, I think you have to wear a lot of hats. So you've got right. to, some, th some days I'm the side man for Aerosmith and some days I am the artist. I go out and do my own tour, my own shows. Well, I can't play right now. Um, so, you know, there's no income coming from there. I won't be able to go out and make any money until next year. Hopefully, if all goes well. So the other things I can do, write songs, get placements. People still, companies still license music, although that has been on pause because studios are not. Right, because they're not, they're not filming stuff. They can't think about the insurance. Think about how many the cost of doing all those tests for it's. You're not talking how many, how much of a crew you're talking about. Oh it yeah, a crew fifty to a hundred, and everyone's got to put. It's they don't have that ten grand. You know the budgets are not there. Like and then one stuff. positive, everything gets shut down, and you have shut people down. just waiting in limbo till it's good to come back. I think the feeling is is that that's going to start picking back up in the fall. It's changed. It'll be different. But they're going to need uh, inventory. They're going to need songs, and so I still have my years of living in LA. I still have, excuse me, contacts with people who work in that field, and uh, so I, I've been taking my time going through my inventory of my library of songs, which is in the hundreds, and going through the number of songs that I produce and own the master because that's key: owning the master recording, separate from the publishing. So it's two different things, and I the songs that I own the master to, uh, I gotta brush those up. I've gotta do an acoustic version, a drum and bass version, a sixty second version, a thirty second version. Wow. When you okay. into the hundreds, it's a mountain of work because you're talking about licensing placements, uh, and some of it is to be big. Most of it is little, a couple hundred dollars, but they reuse that 
part of their lives. And that, that and that's so amazing because, multiple- I mean, I don't know if you look at it like this, but I mean, what you're doing, I mean, you are your own small business with that. And this yeah. is how you're pivoting in order to make the best of this situation so that you can drive your mm-hmm. own personal revenue of Buck Johnson's music. Well, that's the hope. You know, there's no guarantees. Right. You know, I, I, I work longer hours now during this pandemic than I ever did before because that's what it takes. It's, it's me working here and I'm doing it by myself um, and outside of the co-writes, which that's, that could be a whole day, a co-write, to get it done right. Um, and that's a, that's a potential income revenue, but it's down the road. Me doing this now is for potential income down the road. So in the immediate time, there is no money to be made. So, you know, I have friends who are musicians who are not as fortunate as I have been. Because in my world, yes, I've done I'm, – I'm, I'm, it's, I'm really blessed I get to play with bands like Aerosmith and Hollywood Vampires. So, but I've learned over the years, you have a great year like I had last year, you sock it away. You scroll it away. So next year, even though it looked, this year was supposed to be great. It was supposed to be one of the busiest years ever for me. And I'm like, wow, this is great. And I said, like, no, let's, let's hold off on building that sun deck on the back of the house. Let's wait. Let's make sure until I have that until I'm on the plane to go over there, nothing's guaranteed. And thankfully we did because I'm basically living off last year's income. So, you know, that's, that's how I have to go. But I'm putting my uh, efforts into future earnings now. Oh, yeah. You know, what, what you're saying is something that we've heard throughout the history of this podcast. And it, it, it really comes down to two things. One, you're retweaking all your stuff. Like you just said, hey, get in the acoustic version, a 30 second version, 60 second version, all that type of stuff. We've heard small business owner after small business owner tell us about how like during this time period, they use it to take a step back, look at all their branding, their marketing, reevaluate, launch all of that. And then it also sounds like you're just creating more and uh, more content that you're getting out there as well, too, to kind of fill that void. What type of permanent impact, though, do you think that this pandemic might have on the music industry as a whole? It's going to have a major, long-lasting impact because think about, I don't know if beauty bands will still do meet and greets, which is a great revenue source for some bands. I got uh, my picture with Stephen, Joe. <laughs> I got. I don't know if you can see it right there. I got Alice yeah. uh, right there. Yeah. Manson, Rub Zombie. Obviously, uh, the hope is that you know, with the vaccine, that hopefully will be available and that people will take a little bit. But you know what? This is. I feel like this pandemic is bad and it's life changing. You know, I, I have friends that have gotten it, and family members who have suffered. Uh, no one personally I know have died, but there are people out there who have. And to them, this is the most devastating thing ever. Yeah. So um, it, it will change how people do business. I think some things they realize business like, well, you know, we actually made this work and it was more efficient. We didn't have to all meet up at this place to do this. We could do this virtually. And that way we can we can uh, you know not spend the money to travel or wherever oh, yeah. it may be. I think those things will change. I think live music is live music. Right. You, know, you can't. That's one thing about in the music industry is the one revenue that you know people 
still need. You know, you can't. Right. Uh, that's a big source that that's a big source of the musician's income is the merchandising and the touring without and 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 and, and you think about it you take a band like um the Foo fighters you know dave Grohl has got to keep this machine going because it's not about just him it's not his ego he doesn't he doesn't come across that way to me but he's thinking about the 50 families right depend on the Foo fighters so they're, you know, and they're middle class families, you know. Right. Aerosmith has in the neighborhood of that size crew. And most of us, you know, are just middle class, you know, and fortunate enough to be there to call themselves that. But, you know, it's, uh, I know one guy that was working on the crew in Vegas, not with Aerosmith crew, but with the, um, the uh, MGM crew. A friend of mine told me, he says, yeah, man, you know, he lost his house and now uh, he's basically caught something. You know, and it's, it's sad to hear, man. So I, I count my blessings every night. Just hope that we can get through this, but it will change how people do business and money will be, it, once it opens up, it's going to be floodgates open up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it will be because people are kind of getting antsy and are wanting to start get out there and see shows and things like that. I mean, you're, you're seeing some people doing that. I think even with just like, car and truck shows you know so yeah. it, it's crazy but i think when it does officially open it, it's going to blow up pretty big so we do got to start wrapping up i have three final questions for you buck okay first yeah. one yeah. is you've already told us about how you're using some of this downtime to create more music and refine your stuff can you tell us is aerosmith or uh, the Hollywood Vampires using any of the downtime to create more music for us? No, oh. no, they're, they're they're listen. You know, I I think that um, eventually, you know, Aerosmith may release unreleased pre-recorded stuff at some point one day. I'm just guessing. Uh, speculating of that. Speculating. The Vampires did re- an album. Like I said, we did right. that. It was one of the things I was getting at earlier. Is that I. You could take a uh, recording studio in your overhead suitcase, and, mm-hmm. and Tommy, who produced the album, you know, bought this one of these kind of mics, a SM7, and um, Alice did his vocals on the road. I would backstage while we had time during the day. I would grab my keyboard set up and then overdub some keyboards, you know, with his uh, little Apollo uh, Universal Audio interface. And there's no drop down in quality, you know. Right. It's still. It's, bit, it's amazing how yeah. how the quality is. Like you said, you fit it in a suitcase. Mm-hmm. I have mixing boards. I have audio mm-hmm. recording dolls, all that stuff. And there's yeah. some amazing studio quality stuff that you can yeah. get that's extremely portable right now. It is, you know, and it all adds up. It's to get the right stuff. It still can be expensive, but um, it allowed me, like when I was in Vegas all last year, right. I made an album, a solo album, and I recorded... You know, you still got to go into a studio with good drums. Right. The drum sounds are key. If you don't have good drum sounds, you don't have a good record. Right. You don't have a, especially rock rock bands. So, and that same with Hollywood Vampires. So, but I recorded the drums, the bass, the basics at a studio here in Nashville. And then I would bring my studio and my suite there I stayed at and I had room to spread out. And um, I would do vocal overdubs. I would do editing. Yeah. Um, it gave me something to do because I'm not a gambler. So I, uh, I <laughs> had a lot of downtime and I didn't want to be that, you know, 
the uh, the old adage, the devil's workshop. Right, 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 right. So right. You kept busy. You kept busy. Uh, you used technology and, as your friend yeah. to help you produce stuff. So I had planned to release the album this year, then the pandemic hit. And so I'm like, so I'm holding back on it. Uh, I've put out some live videos, which, you know, you can check out on my YouTube page or, you know, all that stuff. Oh, yeah, so, definitely. We'll have a link to yeah. Buck's yeah, stuff yeah, in yeah. the description. Right, um, right. And social media, it's all up on so Facebook and it's easy to find. But yeah, so I, I, I've done those virtual, uh, live, uh, versions with the bank. Cause we had gigs booked and like, well, we can't gig. And we talked about this earlier, like, you know, bands that want to virtually do a live show. Now they can do a live stream show and I may do one of those at some point, but to do a virtual where we're, we're all, you know, homebound and we're on different locations. The latency, the latency doesn't work. You can't, you can't do it. You can't play to a drummer that way. Uh, so what I did was I, uh, and I just did this to kind of keep it out there. Like, yes, we've done this. This band is great. I want it to be heard. We want these songs at least to be heard live. And at some point I will release the album. So, uh, all my guys have a setup similar to mine. And so I would lay down a piano vocal and I would send it and it was a live performance. Like I just played and sang it down. You know, I did it two or three times and picked the best one. And then uh, even if it had mistakes, even better, it's live. And then, um, and then send it to the drummer and he would do a live performance and he would record it, the iPhone video simultaneously with uh, uh, Pro Tools recording, you know, of drums. And then he would send it back to me. I would take the audio, mix it, Pro Tools, and then send that to the bass player. We would record the video performance while at the same time recording into Pro Tools. So I get the good audio that I need, but also it's really it's capturing a live performance, but it's one step at a time, you know, because we can't do it at the mm -hmm. same time. That's and still intriguing, though. I mean, how you're you're using technology to be able to produce that. I love it. I mean, it's 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 purely promotion it's not making any money for me but i that was my goal that was my goal to it's not how great this drummer is so this guitar player damon johnson who i mentioned earlier i mean he's he's incredible and uh so and by the way so check out damon johnson he's got great oh yeah definitely um, definitely and uh, and so you know we did that but i was able to mix the audio make it sound like you know much like a live album which you know it's not that hard to do if you've been doing it. It's like no different than when we're playing live. You should hear my in-ear mix or Stevens, especially Stevens in here mix. It sounds like a live album. It's incredible, you know, and, uh, and it's very motivating. You know, obviously I have my parts on top, you know, just because I need to hear me more, but I got to hear those guitars. Man. I got to hear a lot of Stevens. Uh, that, so, that's, that's just, that whole experience has just got to be awesome. So two very quick questions. Um, yeah. last, uh, second to last one is for all the creative businesses out there like you, do you have any final words of advice or something that they can do to try to make some pivots right now to, to survive until things open up with live shows? Man, I, I wish I had some good advice. I think we're all hustling and, and trying things to figure it out, you know, because no one really knows. We don't know what the virus is going to do. We don't know what's around the corner. I think you still got to get up early and do your best to navigate this by being creative and working hard. 
I don't have the answer. I wish I did. Yeah. Because I don't even know if I'm doing it. Well, the answer is different for every person. That's what we're finding. It is. And I'm not knowledgeable enough in these other fields. I I do think that people like, I think there will be a lot of new technologies created because of this pandemic because people are at home and what else have we got to do? And it's in the, and the ones who put the work in, I just always say, just focus on the work, man. Don't worry about what's going to happen or if it's going to work, you know. It's just like I have an idea for a song. Well, yeah, it wasn't all that good to be some. But you know what? I'm not worried about it. There's always another idea. I just got to put the work in. Do the work. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm taking my own advice because I'm, I'm, I'm working on this mountain of work. And it's going to, and then there's songs I don't own the masters to. I got to re, I got to make my own recording of it if I want to make any money. So it's, it's, um, that's it, man. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, yeah, the details, I think that's up to every single person to kind of decide and figure that out on their own. But I mean, just having that drive is what I'm hearing to continue, keep producing, and, you know, just uh, hope that you get a little bit of luck so that things shake your way. And if nothing else, it gets your mind off the news and what's going oh, on yeah. and you're focusing something creative. If you're being creative, you're being productive, it just doesn't mean that, you know, this, what I'm creating today may not make money for me today or tomorrow, but maybe something always good comes from Oh, it, yeah, you know? definitely. And if nothing else, it's good for my soul. It makes me not think about everything else, and I can move forward. You know? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Last question for you. You've, As we've discussed throughout this whole thing, you've been <laughs> on the road with some legendary people in my book. What's your favorite road story that you can tell us about <laughs> that they won't get <laughs> mad at you for? Oh, I don't know. I think I've had to think the fifth there. Uh, um, I, I don't know, man. Um, gosh, you know, I should think of these things when it comes up because it's usually probably more related to me. You know, I could tell. Um, gosh, you know, uh, uh, you know what? It's going to be one of these things I'm, after we hang up. I'm like, dang, I should have told him that oh, story. Oh, yeah. No problem. Um, I, 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 I will say this, that and it's not because it's me, but it's because it's the only thing I can think of. Um, when I got that call from Steve and I flew to Istanbul, mm-hmm. by the time the odyssey of getting there, you know, by the time I got to Istanbul and by the time I got to the venue, uh, it was the first show of the European tour. So they always do a production rehearsal just to make sure everything's working right. You know, the band rehearses a little bit. So I got there and by that point in time, I hadn't slept in two days. It's, Get home to Nashville. I got packed. I gotta, I gotta like start woodshedding, like writing charts, making sure I've got every song of Aerosmith I can have uh, in my phone <laughs> and on my laptop, and um, and you know all that. And then get on the plane, and I can't sleep. I've got to woodshed, and I got to make sure and listen, you know, make notes, and because um, you know, like songs like "Don't Want to Miss a Thing," obviously I gotta play that. You know, and that's not a hard song to play. Just don't screw it up in front of 50,000 people when it's just you and Steven, you know? No pressure, right? So I get to Istanbul. I meet with Steven. I go to his dressing room. He's only heard me sing online, and I come in with Marty's recommendation. I have acoustic guitar, and the first song we play is Crying because it's one of the higher harmony plays. It's really freaking high, and I love playing that song, too. I love singing that song with Steven. Um, 
And no lie, man, we get to the first course and he just holds out his hands. He gets, he's really a sweet, a big hearted, emotional person. And his eyes just swell up. And I was kind of taken back. He goes, where have you been? And I'm like, man, I get all emotional. I'm like, this is a dream come true for me. I waited for this moment to happen. So we, we, we hugged it out and, and, you know, we talked about singing together and how, you know, he's, he's digging this. And that was overwhelming to me because, you know, most of the time you don't get that, you know, and he's really, he doesn't hold back. Um, and we sang a few more songs and he was excited. And then I played with the band on stage and, and there's a point we went through, uh, jaded. And there's a point where the band, you probably know this, where, uh, in the last verse, the band stops and we hold the sign up and he's just holding it, right? Um, right? And I'm above that, a third above it, full voice. And I knew that happened because I listened to some live tapes, but Stephen's trying to like, oh, I'm going to show him off, you know, and he starts looking at his watch, like he's looking at his watch and he's still holding it. <laughs> And I thought I was going to pass out, but I damn sure wasn't make sure I was not going to let go of that note, you know, <laughs> and, you know, and he was smiling after it was over. And then when that ends, the band comes back in. And at that moment, the whole band turned around and looked at me and smiled. And I, that's what I knew. Well, I think so, I knew that this kid. So, that, that was yeah. their way of hazing you. A little bit, yeah, I think. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, and then I and then and then after that I met my uh my keyboard tech this and he's a legend and we have the best crew in the world. Uh we call him Haystacks. Yeah. And um he uh, he's worked with everybody. You name him, he's probably worked with him. Um and when he's not worked with me with Smith, he's been um uh, worked with people like Fleetwood Mac and so forth. But he um he goes he's from West Virginia, he goes and he's really smart, like he's incredibly smart and he goes by his accent, though, he goes, ah, oh, you got so much to learn, I don't know where to begin. <laughs> and talking about the rig. And so I had to go take the rig, the keyboard, a couple of laptops for the sounds to my hotel room in Istanbul. So there was no going seeing this legendary. So you had to learn you know, on the go, it sounds like. Yeah, I had, I had, I had to, um, spend up a third night in a row. I had an iPad with a, uh, it's called an um, Unreal book I use to, um, I'm able to chart and mainly like write down, you know, uh, have the lyric typed up and use a yellow highlighter, the program to say, okay, harmonize this line, skip that line, harmonize those three words and this line. The next line is, is the other two words you got to harmonize. It's very specific to see. You start, you start analyzing it and you see, okay, there's no way to, you know, retain that much information for the first few shows. So I had this iPad I could use, which the people have seen the musicians use these before. But honestly, if it had been just playing, I would be like, it's the singing and the playing. And then it's the mapping of like on this keyboard, okay, on this song, you know, you've got piano here, you've got strings up here, you've got horns down here. On another song, it's a different layout because we need to have this sound here you have to play. So I had to learn the mapping and then uh, go through and make that note on the iPad. So I know where to play on what, you know, what part of the keyboard. Uh, so I did that. I wake up. I mean, I don't wake up. I, I stay up all night. Um, I'm meeting Haystacks for breakfast at 10. And I finished just in time to make it down to breakfast. And I said, hey, man, I know I'm supposed to go to the venue at 11 to get my in-ears and 
and check and get the rig set up so I'm comfortable. He says, I got to lay down for three hours. I haven't slept in three days. I'm not going to make it, you know. He goes, well, you're going to fall deep, you know. And I'm like, all right, well, just call me. So sure enough, I fall deep, you know, deep sleep. And it's like, you know, the phone in your dream is getting closer and closer and closer. I mean, he must have let it ring 30 times before I picked up an answer. And he goes, Rock, you need to get up, get dressed. There's been a mining accident. There's riots in the streets, and we got to get out. And honestly, I thought it was part of the dream. Like, I'm still dreaming. And then he said it again. I'm like, oh. Uh, my second thought was, is he punking me? I'm like, that's pretty cool, <laughs> you know. But no, he's like, oh, you got to get going, you know. And sure enough, there was a, a mining accident in Istanbul where it lost the lives of 300 men. And, and I think the government at the time had refused to do inspections. They wanted to keep production going. And so the people were really upset about it. And they took it to the streets and the tear gas, rubber bullets, the whole thing. And it's right by our hotel. And uh, so we got out in time. And uh, but that gave me two more days <laughs> to work on this. So my first wow. show was actually in Sofia, Sofia Bulgaria. And um, that's and that was interesting. Yeah, no, that that's really crazy. That's pretty interesting. It, you know how that all transpired, and it kind of worked to your advantage because it gave you those two extra days to learn everything and to sleep. Yeah, and to sleep, and yeah. to sleep. That's the <laughs> biggest thing. That's yeah. You don't want to be falling asleep during Dream On, right? <laughs> no, not that I don't think that would happen to me on stage. I think the adrenaline carried me because it was good. I mean, I, like I said, I've been really blessed over the years to play with some amazing um, artists, but this one was you know, even more so because the music and what Aerosmith meant to me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I can imagine. Anyways, Buck, it's been a great pleasure having you here on Shark hey, Great you. stories. How can, what's your website again? That's simply buckjohnson.com. You can find me on social media, Buck Johnson Music on the, uh, Facebook, um, Buck Johnson Official on Instagram. And I think those are the two places really, you know, the website is there. Um, and, and uh, but I think that all the content in today's world, especially in this pandemic, is coming through Instagram and, and uh, Facebook. Oh, so yeah. And then uh, keep, keep in touch. There's videos, there's uh, all kind of stuff. And then um, new music will be coming. Uh, I just don't know when, maybe, um, maybe in the fall or definitely next year. <laughs> yeah, well, you keep busy creating right now, and we're going to look forward to that Thanks, music. Eddie. Thank you again so much, Buck. Love, sure. love everything you came on to share. Great. Thank you yeah, for having me. No here. problem. Every interview and discussion I have is amazing. Watch all the videos. When I come back, I'm like, incredible discussion. Amazing conversation. Uh, every single time, but this one was super amazing. I love hearing stories about my idols, my legends, especially when it comes down to Aerosmith, and Buck Johnson is no exception to that. I'm a huge Buck Johnson fan. His music, his personality, his attitude, his ego, the business side of Buck. I love everything about the dude. So a couple good nuggets came out of this interview. One, hard work pays off. Keep your head low and just be the best you are at what you do. And you can unlock potential that you never imagined possible. You might have hoped something was possible, but did Buck ever think that he would be playing with the legendary bands that he is? 
No, it was that hard work that really paid off. And number two is relationships. Because of not burning bridges, but actually building and creating strong personal relationships, Buck had the doors opened up for him to work with the legendary band Aerosmith and now the Hollywood vampires. Lastly, number three, keep creating. I reinforce this probably every single episode I have, and now is the time to be creating content, whether it's social media content, music, uh, videos, images, whatever. Buck is creating nonstop in this downtime created by this pandemic, and he's going to have a huge, huge catalog that he's able to manage his business with once things pick back up again. Look, being a hired gun might not be the path Buck has always dreamt of, but ultimately, he accepts that is what his path is up until this point in his life. He knows his role. He not only appreciates the opportunity he got, he is extremely humble about it. This is huge for career growth because when this same old saga dance ends with Aerosmith, this experience is going to open up even more doors for him to walk this way through. Make sure you check out the Hollywood Vampires album. I believe the album is called Rise, and it's got all the original music on it uh, that Buck was talking about, and he features on it too. He actually has writing credits on the song How the Glass Fell, and he performed, I believe, in all the songs. Embrace the opportunities you get just like Buck. Embrace those opportunities in business because you'll never know when the next one will come. So what do you think about Buck's career choice? Would you take it or would you let your ego keep you from being the higher gun in a legendary band? Discuss on YouTube and let's see what you all think. Love this episode. Help us grow. We are just about 2,000 subscribers on YouTube, and I'm itching, itching, itching to hit 2,500. Okay, smash that subscribe button, but most importantly, share the video. Now, I know I'm talking about YouTube, but don't forget, we also have iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Make sure you subscribe so that way you can listen to every episode as they come out every Monday and Thursday at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. Also, don't forget, you've got to check out our Teespring store. The link will be in the pinned comments below. Once again, I'm David Strasser. This is Shark Bite Fizz, and I'll see you again next episode. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Shark Bite Fizz. We hope you got some insightful info from this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and visit us on the web at www.sharkbitebiz.com. How has business changed for you in the 20s? Email us at podcast at sharkbitebiz.com so you can join us and share your story.